Uh, we've been looking at the king and his kingdom. And what we've been trying to figure out is what is it that Jesus values in his kingdom. And the way we've been figuring that out is by looking at what he valued during his ministry uh, here on earth. So uh, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Mark 5 today. And if you're using the Bible that looks like this one, it's page 702. Uh, If you have your phone or smart device, you can catch us at the Bible app, our notes. If you go to the events page on the Bible app, uh, you'll find the notes for this morning already there. Now, what we're going to see this morning may surprise you because what Jesus values is not a what, uh, but what Jesus values is a who, and that who is you. And uh, regardless of where you are in your life right now, we're going to see through a story about a guy who had lost total control of his life, how Jesus not only helped him, but it's about how Jesus wants to help us today, especially if you or your friends or family member, if you have someone that you love whose life, it feels out of control, it is out of control, Jesus wants to help them. So let's check out, uh, let's check out what happens. In Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines. Now we're going to stop there just so we can kind of get our bearing. The region of the Gerizines refers to a, a region, an area on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. A lot of cliffs, caves, made it a popular place for burials. Uh, it was basically a cemetery with a great view. And, uh, and all day Jesus had taught vast crowds on the other side of the lake. So if you've got your Bible open, you can look back and see what they've been up to. So he teaches these great crowds, and then he gets his apostles in a boat. They go start across the sea. A huge storm comes up, and it says that the, wives, the, the words mean the waves were fighting against the ship. Scares the apostles to death. Jesus calms the sea, and then they finally make it to shore. And I can only imagine, if you've ever been on a boat in a storm that is raging and out of control, and you just fear for your life, I would imagine they get their feet back on solid ground, and they are just happy for the opportunity to get some rest. And as we begin our verses, I wonder if any of the 12 are looking at at the others and saying, could this day be any longer, you know, than it already has been? I don't know if you ever say anything like that. There are questions we should know not to ask, like, well, what else could possibly go wrong, right? I mean, you know, that's not to ask that, right? Or how much worse could it be? Or, or, or how much could it possibly cost? Or if you're here for the very first time, how bad of a preacher can this guy be, right? I mean, there's just some questions we shouldn't be asking. Verse 2, Jesus gets out of the boat. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And so night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Now, this story is told in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when Luke tells this story, he tells us that this guy had lived in the cemetery and hadn't worn clothes for a long time. And I kind of picture him with broken chains hanging from his wrists and from his ankles, from where people had tried to tie or chain him up, and he just kept breaking free. He had cuts and scrapes and bruises all over his body. My assumption is he had wild hair, he had wild, he was just a wild man living in the cemetery, scaring people to death. And in verse 4, it says, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Subdue is better translated tamed. It's the word they would use of taming a wild animal. No one could tame this wild animal of a man. And when he saw Jesus, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. 
And he said, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me that you won't torture me. And then Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. I don't know if you know this or not, but a legion, a Roman legion, consisted of 6,000 soldiers. And so some scholars take this to mean that there were as many as 6,000 demons who had taken up residence inside of this man. There are enough that if you know this story, if you look down in your Bible, verse 13, 2,000 pigs went insane because the demons get cast into them. Someone has paraphrased this passage of what this man has said in this way. I feel like 6,000 soldiers are inside of me. And sometimes they all march to the left and sometimes they all march to the right. And sometimes in all different directions, I'm pulled one way and then I'm pulled another. There's an army inside of me. And I think I'm the one who's losing the war. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way or if you have a friend who feels that way. Something's going on inside your life, and you feel like you're the one who's losing. I heard about a fifth grader, first fifth grade boy who exasperated his children, his teacher, to the point that she grabbed him and shook him till his teeth rattled. And uh, she said, "Boy, I think the devil has a hold of you." And the boy said, "I think she does too." Um, <laughs> the man, the man in our verses is at the mercy of these demons. Now, I don't, listen, I don't know how much you think about these kind of stories, or maybe you've never heard it before, and so this is all new to you. But if you've heard this story before, if you've read this before, uh, it, sometimes it takes me several times to begin to, to think through the different people in these stories. But what kind of man do you think he was before he was possessed by demons? I mean, what, do you think that he was a decent father, maybe a faithful husband, fine, upstanding citizen who maybe he just made one wrong turn and blew everything that he had going for him? Or, or maybe, he was, maybe he was at the other end of the spectrum. He was this mean, violent, evil man. It, it really didn't take much of a step at all for him to go from sheer meanness to just all-out possession in his life. We have no idea. No, we're not told anything about him. But when Mark tells us in these verses, he tells us he was totally possessed, which is something that not everybody believes in today. Some people believe that if demon possession existed at all in, in, in all of history, that, that when the apostles died out, demons died out as well. However, the Bible teaches that demons are present in our world today and still something that is active that we need to be aware of. When Paul writes about this in his ch- to the church in Ephesus, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and against the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When Peter writes about Satan, he says that our enemy is like a, a lion, a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And when Jesus talks about the devil, he says that the thief, talking about the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. It's what he was doing in the life of this man in that day. It's what he still does to people in our day. And so he ran around the tombs, hadn't lived in a house for a long time. He refused to allow himself to be restrained. He cut himself with stones. Physically, he was a wreck, had to have been malnourished at this point. Everything he did brought harm to his body, his mind, and his soul. He was about as desperate a person as you're going to find. And I don't know that that sounds unfamiliar in our day. How many people are around us that we know, that we care about, who are destroying their lives with drugs and alcohol? 
Heroin is an epidemic in our area. We are considered the heroin capital of America. In April, I let... I showed you a video that Dayton is the number one place in America for overdoses. We know people whose lives are out of control. But, but it's not just about addiction. How about immoral behavior? How about overindulgence? How about those who destroy them, themselves, their emotional health through worry or unforgiveness or guilt? Listen, demon-possessed people don't have a monopoly on self-destruction. They're not the only ones who are out of control. Check out verse 6. And when he saw Jesus, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and said, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me that you won't torture me. Because Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. You know, I think it's interesting in verse 4, if your Bible is open, verse 4 says nobody was strong enough to subdue him. And yet, when he sees Jesus, he falls on his knees in front of him. I want to make sure you catch this because there is no doubt in our verses who is in control. Sometimes we have this mistaken notion that Jesus is like the good God with the white hat on and Satan is the bad God with the black hat on and they're constantly at odds with each other. Sort of the yin-yang symbol, you know, here. Equal and and, uh, opposing forces of light and darkness, good and evil. But I want to make sure that we understand here this morning that is not how it works. Jesus is God. Satan is a fallen angel. There is no question about who is stronger, who has more authority, who is going to win the ultimate battle. Jesus and Satan are not equal and opposing forces. They're not even in the same league with each other. The Bible tells us in the book of James at the very end of the New Testament, as a matter of fact, that not only do demons believe that there is a God, but they shudder when they think of him. And quite frankly, they ought to. Look at what Jesus did for this desperate, demon-possessed man, because I want to make sure that you see this. As he moves toward his healing, Jesus makes the first move in this. Not the guy making the first move. Jesus makes the first move. And what he didn't do, he didn't run from him. He didn't ignore him, because Jesus isn't like everyone else that this guy had met. He didn't think you're weird. He doesn't think you're crazy. He doesn't think you're stupid or a failure or hopeless. He doesn't think that you're so deeply stained by your sin that there is no chance for you again. And he doesn't want you living among the tombs anymore. He wants to pull you out of isolation and into his presence because that's where healing takes place. Healing takes place in the presence of God. Help is found in the presence of God. Confusion ends. Healing begins. And the second thing he wanted to do, this is really significant. He wanted to know his name. He asked this guy what his name was. When do you think was the last time this guy was called by his name? Did anybody even remember what his name was? I mean, what do you think people called him anyway? Think they called him, you know, wild thing? You know, I mean, what did they call him? Do you think they called him the loser who lived in the cemetery? Or do you think they called it anything when they talked about it living in the cemetery? And when Jesus asks him, he answers, my name is Legion. Now what's puzzling is in this conversation between Jesus and this man is that the verbs alternate from singular to plural. It's almost as if the man is talking one moment 
And then the next moment, the demons are talking to Jesus. And then back to the man and then back to the demons. And Jesus says, I want to bring this guy back to who he really is. I want to bring him back to who God created him to be, which, by the way, is what he wants to do with us as well. He wants us to, he wants to refocus our minds on who we actually are. And he says, your name is not inferiority. Your name is not worthless. Your name is not depression or paranoia or hopeless addict. Your name is not, you will never amount to anything. That is not your name. As a matter of fact, your name is Linda. And you're my child. Your name is Bill. You're my son. Your name is Jonathan. You belong to me. You're my child. Listen, that's the truth of not only who this guy was, but who we are today. And then the next thing, Jesus freed him. Satan wanted to make him a prisoner, and Jesus wanted to free him. If you look at verse 12, the demons begged Jesus to be sent into this herd of pigs that are grazing on a nearby hill. So Jesus sent them there. The pigs uh, go crazy. 2,000 pigs rush over a cliff and drown in the lake. You could say they went hog wild. You could say they committed suicide. <laughs> That's actually in the original language. If you knew the Greek language like I did, you would see that in the verses. You know, I think what's fair to say is that the demons wanted to do to this man what they did to those pigs. It's fair to say they wanted to destroy him. And Jesus wanted to free him. And there are people that you know. Listen, there are people here this morning. There are folks who are here this morning who want to be freed. And the, real, and the reality is that you matter to God. And he wants you to be free. But Jesus didn't come into this guy's life and take charge like some kind of hostile takeover. He didn't cast out the demons and enforce himself into the driver's seat. He simply gave this guy a chance to decide for himself how he wanted to live the rest of his life. He set this man free and then he gave him the opportunity to choose his next steps. So let me ask you this question. Is there something that has control of your life? Is there something that is dragging you down? And maybe it's a career, maybe it's a lifestyle, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's anger. There could be all kinds of things that have hold of you and are controlling you. And Jesus wants to restore control in your life to you because he can do for you and me what he did for this demon-possessed guy. He'll help get rid of the evil that's in our lives and he'll replace it with good. When we look all the way back in the Old Testament to the prophet Jeremiah, God says this, like clay in the hand of the potter, that's the way you are in my hand. It doesn't happen overnight for most people, but it can happen. We have to do our part. Like this man, check this out. We have to humble ourselves before Jesus. If this is going to happen in our lives, if this is you, you have to humble yourself which is verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
Remember, I told you the story is told in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When Luke tells us this story, he adds a detail that Mark doesn't have here. It says that when they came to him, they found this guy sitting at Jesus' feet. He's not just saying he's sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Listen, we'll never have more control of our lives than when we surrender control of our lives to Jesus. I, I know that doesn't sound right. But when you're controlled by something else that's trying to keep you captive, you will never have more control over your life than when you give control to Jesus and just allow him to have ultimate control. Here's the next thing. I have to willfully change my pattern of behavior. I have to change the things that I do, which is what this guy does. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, he was, uh, he was sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Notice what he's not doing. Not running like a crazy man through the tombs anymore. He's not tearing off his clothes. He's not breaking chains. He's not cutting his flesh. His behavior was totally different. Evil was no longer in control of his life. Listen, there's no fast track to self-control. But I want to make sure we understand we can't master our lives without effort. You cannot get a grip on those frustrating habits and inconsistencies until you get serious and start doing the hard work of modifying your behavior. Self-control is an act of the will. Now, I want to make sure you hear this. I'm not saying we can do this on our own. That's not, I'm not saying we can do this on our own. All I'm saying is Jesus won't do it without us. Does that make sense? We have to want to change. If you are struggling with profanity, listen, it takes years. If that's been part of your life, it'll take years perhaps to just whittle that down and out of your life. If you have trouble with complaining, if you're just one of those people who just complain, 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 listen, you have to retrain your mind to think differently. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while. You have to get accountability from your family, accountability from your friends to get it under control. If lying is your problem, if smoking is your problem, if overeating is your problem, if shoplifting or sleeping around is a struggle for you, you have to want to do your part. If there's going to be a change in your life, you can't do it by yourself, but Jesus won't do it without you. This is the next thing. I need to refuse to run from my problems. I have to stand and face them and take them on and get them. This guy wanted to run. Verse 16 says, those who had seen what had happened with the pigs told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man and what happened to the pigs. Verse 17, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Can you imagine how hard it would be to go back to those who had seen him in his insanity, at his worst, at his lowest? Can you imagine what it would be like? How embarrassing is it to have been that crazy and then step back into the mainstream of society? Can you imagine the stares he would get from people, the whispers the mothers shielding their children from this guy who's walking down the sidewalk and we never know when he's going to go nuts again. If he could just get in the boat with Jesus and leave the past behind, if he could just leave the pain and the disgrace, he would be okay. At least that's what he thought. And when he asks Jesus if he can do this, Jesus says no. As a matter of fact, the best thing that you could do would go back to your family and friends and tell them what God had done for them. Listen, who's better equipped in that area to be the story of God's grace and power in our lives than a guy who was living in a cemetery, insane, scaring everyone to death, running around naked, 
And now his story is that he's in his right mind and he's a good guy. <laughs> Who has the best testimony for the sake of Jesus? All right, one more thing. I need to invest my energy in positive pursuits. Verse 20, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. By the way, the Decapolis, all that means is this area of land that had 10 cities, 10 cities in it. That's what Decapolis means, 10 cities. And here's the other thing that's interesting. We have no record of any missionaries ever going into that area, into the area of the Decapolis. No missionaries were ever sent into that area, and yet churches start popping up in that area for no, it doesn't seem like there's any reason for that to happen, except that this guy went back and started telling his story about how Jesus changed his life. One of the best ways of dealing with plaguing sins and damaging habits is to stay focused on doing good, productive things. Keep your mind occupied with God-honoring activities, work hard, invest in people, serve the poor, encourage others. For no telling how long, this guy's life had no purpose. He had, listen, truth is, he had nothing to live for when he was in the cemetery. He was already in a place of death. He had nothing to live for. But once Jesus got hold of him, he had a job, he had a contribution to make. And I love the last words. And all the people were what? Amazed. And lives began to change. And churches began to pop up. Listen, your next step in your relationship with Jesus it seems to me that one of Satan's best strategies is to get people to think that they've already lost the war, that there is no hope for them. And maybe, maybe it's you, maybe it's a friend, and you are thinking to yourself, I, I, I'm way too far gone already. There, not even God could do anything for me. Don't you think that's where this guy was? I mean, who in the world could help him? Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking the same thing. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here because I want to make sure that you hear this. That's what you're thinking. God wants you to know. He sees you right where you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you've done. He knows what you think. He knows what you've said. And he wants you to know you matter a great deal to him. He loves you. And if you want... If you want, he will help you. Do you know why I think Jesus allowed the spirits to go into the pigs, even knowing they would destroy them? I think he was trying to show this man and the people in that town, and thousands of years later, you and me, that as powerful as these demons were, and it was obvious they were powerful because they just tore this guy's life up, as powerful as they were, that Jesus can destroy them. And give you back the life God desires for you to have. You know, one of our core values here at MCC is that we believe that faith is a journey and that uh, we will meet people right where they are and we will risk getting our hands messy to help other people begin and build their relationship with Jesus. Do you know that's why, why that's one of our core values, why we say we'll do that? Because someone did it for us. Someone reached into our life and helped us make better decisions. So if you've come here today and you are thinking nobody cares, respectfully, you're wrong. Not only does God care, but his children here care as well. And if you want, we will help you.
If you've come here today and you've never given yourself to him, we would love to help you with that decision and moving forward. All you have to do is say, can you help me? We would love to in the name of Jesus. Listen, let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for the story of this man that uh, he just seems so far away, not just time-wise, not just distance geographically. But sometimes we can read these stories and they don't even seem to be applicable in our world today. And yet when we look around us, we know there are people just like this. And for some of us in the room this morning, it's us and we hope no one finds out because it's this big secret in our lives and our life is out of control And it would be so embarrassing if someone here knew. But you do. You already know. And you love them. So God, we pray that in this place, we can be honest enough with each other to admit where we're weak, to admit where we're out of control, so that we can find help from your kingdom. Use us, God, we pray to help other people see you, just like this guy, because you've taken lives that were not in control and you've brought them under your control. God, thank you for loving us so much. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.